0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, just before I jump into the actual message, uh, give you an example of the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, Rache and I discussed the, the music this week, and she said, well, we didn't get to talk about what the theme of your message was, so not exactly sure where you're going, so I just picked some songs, and the worship team's already been practicing them, so I hope they fit, because too bad, you can't change them now. And uh, that last song that we just sang... Uh, you're going to hear that theme presented over and over again today in the message. Um, The other half of that, I'll say about this too. This song, among other songs, there are so many allusions and direct references straight out of Scripture in that song. It is just absolutely incredible and amazing. So I encourage you to be thinking about and looking for those kinds of references in the music that you listen to because it's awesome when you see all that, how God has put that stuff together. So... Onto the message. Uh, Rabbi Joshua lived during the time of emperor, emperor Trajan, and he was as ugly as he was educated and wise. Uh, he was so dark-complexed that he had the nickname the blacksmith. Children used to actually chase him around town. Yet his wisdom made him a regular visitor to the emperor, because the emperor wanted the, understand and have better advice than what he was getting. Now, during one of his visits to the emperor, the emperor's daughter laughed at Rabbi Joshua because of his unpleasant appearance. And he said, Rabbi, how can such great wisdom that you have be contained in such an ugly container? Well, to answer this, Rabbi Joshua asked her a question. He said, Princess, in what type of vessels does your imperial father keep his wine? And she replied, Well, in earthen jars. And he said, Well, common folks keep their wine in earthen jars. Do you really think that that's befitting someone of your your father's stature? Someone of royal blood? And she immediately turned and told the servants, put the wine in the gold and the silver jars and store it in those. Well, sure enough, when you store wine in metal containers like that, it doesn't come out so well. And when the wine got to the table, it was sour. And so she turned back and ran to Rabbi Joshua and she said, what is this? Why did you give me such bad advice over what to do about this wine? And he said, Princess, you've learned an incredibly simple lesson today. Wine is best kept in common vessels, and so is wisdom. And the princess never made fun of Rabbi Joshua for his appearance again. Now, last month, we began a series, if you want to call it that, which is a monthly series at the end of the month uh, on the concept and the topic of reverent surrender. And in this series, we are looking at a variety of different object lessons that we find in Scripture. Uh, Particularly, we see a lot of these object lessons in the Old Testament, but today we're going to be taking one from the New Testament. But the object lessons are designed to help us either better understand the idea of a concept. So for example, the blood of the sacrifices was designed to help us understand how horrible and nasty the nature of sin is and the high price that it takes to be able to take care of sin. Or the object lessons are meant to uh, point to something even greater than itself. So for example, again, the sacrifices were designed, or excuse me, let me back up. The, uh, the sacrifice of the Passover In the Old Testament, when they put the blood on the doorframe is meant to help us see and understand that they were protected from the judgment that was coming. When we apply the blood of Christ to us, we are protected, we are shielded from the judgment that would be coming. So we see something greater in some of the other object lessons. Um, Last time we were together, we, uh, we had an altar on our altar. And we gave everybody a little rock, and we talked about the idea of surrender, that surrender and sacrifice are two different things, that you can sacrifice something but not fully be surrendered in that area of life. So with that rock that we gave everybody, we gave you the opportunity to think about what it might be that is something that you needed to surrender to God, and then bring it up and place it on the altar. And so just by means of encouragement and reminder, I ask you, How's it all going since last time? Are you still reminding yourself to keep that area surrendered before God? So this morning, we are going to learn a similar lesson that the princess did. Common, overlooked, sometimes even weak objects hold the greatest treasure. God's power is made obvious through man's commonness because... uh, Because we are overlooked and sometimes because we are weak. When we surrender to this reality that we are not strong enough, that is when God is able to really shine through us the most. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, We're going to read verses 7 through 12, but we're going to concentrate on verses 7 through 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake... So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So this morning I want to see, I want us to see four things about the jars of clay. Uh, We are going to look at the humility of the jars of clay, the weakness of the jars of clay, the victories of the jars of clay, and then the glories of the jars of clay. So let me give you a brief setup. And this is something I always want you to remember. Okay. Did you hear those significant words? I always want you to remember whenever a pastor drops into the middle of a book of the Bible, the pastor should be taking the time to help explain a few things about what is taking place. I'll give you an example. How many of you know what the two-minute rule is? Anybody? I learned this early on in life. Um, Two-minute rule is this. Maybe we have a different definition, I don't know, but I learned this early on in ministry. When you enter a conversation, you wait at least two minutes before you say anything. The reason being is because sometimes you need to understand the context of what's taking place in that conversation before you can say something intelligent in that conversation. So I'm just going to guess... That some of you may have been one of those people that entered into a conversation and said something a little too early, and everybody wound up laughing at you because you're like, "What? Are, what are we talking about here?" Because you didn't understand the context. And so, what's happening here is we are about to drop into this conversation in 2 Corinthians chapter four, uh, which means we got to do a little bit of explanation. So, um, quick tip for when you drop into a book of the Bible. If you're wanting to understand what's being said, read the chapters before it, read the chapters after it. That's quick tip number one. Quick tip number two, if you have a study Bible, there are some parts of the study Bible that always get ignored. And one of those parts is the uh, opening part right before the book. They give you a summary of what the book is about. Take some time and read that because it gives you some context. Those are things that we can do to understand Scripture better. But what is happening in these verses and in this book is Paul is actually defending himself against the Corinthians. They think that Paul is supposed to be some sort of like super apostle. Uh, And they look at Paul and they go, You do not look like a super apostle. How can we take the gospel seriously? when it comes in such a plain brown wrapping package thing, okay? We expect something as glorious as the gospel to come to us in some sort of a glorious manner, not in this little guy, okay? Now, uh, various parts of scripture bear this thing out. Paul was probably not a whole lot to look at, Um, If you had been beaten the number of times that Paul had been beaten, you probably wouldn't be a lot to look at either. Uh, Paul lived a rather common life. He was a tent maker. So when he would go into a town, he would actually set up shop and he would work at making tents. And he did this so that he wouldn't be a burden on any particular church when he would enter the town. So he'd work on tents during the day and then he would be spreading the gospel at other times when he was not working. Chances are Paul did not see very well. Galatians chapter 6, he says this, See what large letters I write to you with in my own hand. It was common practice for them to have someone else basically be the scribe for what they were saying about a book or a letter that they were writing. And so Paul's saying, hey look, I grabbed the pen from them and I'm writing and see what big letters I have to write in. So he probably didn't see very well. I'm going to guess that Paul's clothes were probably pretty simple and common. He is not the kind of guy who's going to be sporting the latest toga from Milan, okay? Basically, he is getting picked on for all kinds of things about his appearance, about his physical weaknesses, about how he gets picked on about the gospel, and why are we getting the gospel from somebody like you. It's a glorious thing. We should be getting it somewhere else, and Paul's basic message to these people, the ones who are trying to pick on him, is this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure, the gospel, the glorious light of, God's, uh, of God is all wrapped up in this frail, simple, unassuming body that God has given to us. The reason that we have such great treasure is just... Um, in such simple containers, I'm sorry, is to make sure that the glory goes to God. It should never be about the container itself. It should always be about the treasure, the gospel of God and God himself. So back to our very first thing, we're going to consider the humility of the jars of clay. It comes out of verse seven. When it comes to humility of the jars of clay, they're simple. In fact, in fact, the jars of clay that Paul had in mind are probably something that looks very similar to this. If you've never seen one of these, this is just a simple little oil lamp, but it's made out of clay. Um, these clay jars are not particularly ornate, uh, as like the other vessels that the princess was worried about in the story. In the case of the wine, the wine wound up going sour because of putting it in those ornate vessels. Um, The truth of the matter is, when we start trying to package the gospel up in ornate vessels, we tend to spoil the gospel. So, when we are more concerned with the packaging that the gospel comes in, rather than the gospel itself, something is seriously wrong with us. And while it is true of some, I won't say all churches, that are. On the larger end, on the more contemporary end of the scale, sometimes their focus gets off of the gospel and more onto the packaging of the gospel. And that is where they lose sight of things. Um, And they need to be brought back to stopping to look at the bells and whistles and starting to look and remember that the gospel is there. But the jars of clay that Paul is talking about would uh, disguise the fact that there is something valuable inside. So the reason would be to emphasize what that valuable thing was, what was contained. And these jars of clay, in particular like this, uh, was used for light. And this jar, basically at the moment, is worthless because it cannot fulfill its purpose. It needs to have oil inside. The oil is what helps bring purpose to the jar. So, in other words, what the jar contains... Uh, gives the jar its meaning, gives it its purpose. So think about it. Paul is referring to himself, he's referring to the apostles, he's referring even to us, by extension, as jars of clay. It's not Paul and his eloquence, it's not Paul and his position or his worldly status that brings value to the gospel. Rather, it is the gospel that is bringing value to that particular thing. And because the jar of clay is so common so ordinary it displays the beauty of the gospel and the glory of God that much more so when we think about this in relation to us it's not us at our best sorry don't mean to break you down there it is not us at our best that this is about, it is about the gospel message that points back to the glory of God and to Christ being the most valuable thing but the second thing about the humility of the jars of clay is that they are expendable the jars are easily broken. Uh, they offer little or no protection from outside elements. And these jars were so cheap to make that when they break, they just discard those and then go get another one, go make another one. Glass back then could be heated back up and reblown, and they could have glass objects again. But the earthenware vessels, they couldn't. Once they were broke, they were broke, and they just got discarded. Now, I don't want you to take this illustration too far because this does not mean that when we are broken, God just gets rid of us and moves along. And that's not what we're talking about. But what it should do for us is put us back in our place. That the importance is not about the vessel. It's not about us. The importance, again, goes back to the gospel message itself. When we get the idea in our heads that we are, mo- uh, excuse me, that we accomplish this or that, uh, and forget that it is God that lives in us and that is at work in us accomplishing all of those things, we have overblown our own importance. And perhaps worst, when we begin to think that God needs us. Now, I'm going to tell you something very significant God does not need us, God chooses us. And there's a world of difference. Because God chooses us, not because he needs us, but because he chooses us, that is what gives us value. And our value actually runs off the charts because it is God's choice about us. So first we've got the humility of the jars of clay, but second we have the weakness of the jars of clay. And it comes from verses eight and nine. We mentioned how breakable these earthenware vessels are but Paul gives us four examples of the weakness that he is facing in his particular life at that moment. And Paul is giving broad examples. So he's not talking about anything specific. He may not even be referring to the Corinthian church specifically. He's speaking in broad terms about what he has been facing in his ministry. And he uses these phrases. He has been hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. And all of these phrases have two things in common. The first thing that it has is they are meant to be illustrative of Paul and the kinds of things that he faced. So let's get a little more specific about Paul. Let's take an inventory of the things that Paul faced. Scripture tells us that Paul uh, five times was, uh, received 39 lashes from the Jews. I don't know how quick you all are at math, but five times thirty-nine is 195. So 195 times a whip has hit this man in the back, not including perhaps individual swings when someone just got mad at him for something. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones. We know that he had been imprisoned. He. Uh, who had been shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. And Paul's own words bear the rest of this out. From later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have been gone or have gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. By the way, that last phrase is one of the challenging ones. Should be one of the challenging ones for all of us not just us as pastors, that we have a concern for the gospel of God going out in each and every church that it is preached in, that it is preached well, and that God is going to bring a return from those things. But Paul faced these difficult situations that basically we have not even had nightmares about yet. We have not even dreamt of some of these things that he had to face. So we know that when Paul talks about difficulties, when he talks about being hard-pressed or perplexed or persecuted or struck down, Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. The second thing that all of these phrases have in common is they're meant to display the weakness of the jars of clay. The vessel that contains such precious contents gets knocked around, Gets beat up, it faces a rough time, it's fragile. And just because Paul and us as the jars of clay contain the glorious message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ does not mean that life is necessarily going to be easy. In fact, Paul faces all of these hardships because of the mission that God has called him to, because of that message of Christ. And the reality is we face hardships and pressure as well. In Paul's case, he is uh, defending his apostleship to the Corinthian believers so that they look at Paul as this common vessel that is getting slammed about in ministry. And really, is Paul a man of God if all of this stuff is taking place and look at his appearance and all these different things they're questioning? For us, our pressures are oftentimes different. Because God has called us to minister in a different way in in life. So, just some of the things that we face as pressures. Uh, You face the pressure of work obligations piling up on you. The boss is writing you to get the project done uh, on time and under budget. The volatility of the job market one day you are secure, the next minute you are not secure. Your goal and your focus is you want to provide for your family. And that can sometimes be a heavy weight to carry. You have pressure from your family or your family situations. Some of you dream of the day that someone would understand the crazy time obligations that you are under and wish that they would walk five minutes in your shoes so that they could understand that you got to take this kid over here to practice while you run over there to watch this kid's particular game. Then you got to go pick this kid up from band practice to get back over here to grab this kid and then hopefully get back to the game so that you can watch a little bit of the game. And in the middle of all of that, you're trying to feed your kids, and it's probably going to be food back out, and you're wondering how in the world you're going to get all of this stuff done and get to bed on time. Right? all of these different time pressures that you face. You have concerns for your kids themselves, that they make good friends, that they choose wisely who they date. You have a concern for their health and for their well-being. You have a concern that they are raised in Christ and that they learn to love Christ the way that they should. And I'm going to stop the sermon and I'm going to step off onto one of my little uh, soapboxes here and tell you something. So, if you are a parent, you still have kids at home, pay careful attention to what I'm about to say. We want to make sure that our kids are raised in Christ and not just in the church. And my prayer is that you will understand the difference. If you want to understand what being raised in Christ is, read the book of Ephesians and pay careful attention to that phrase because it's mentioned over and over and over again. But unfortunately, a lot of parents get to the far end of raising their children. And they go, I've raised my kids in the church, but I didn't raise them in Christ. So my encouragement, my prayer for you is that you understand the difference between those two so that you are always seeking to raise your kids in Christ. By the way, I don't say any of that to make anybody feel guilty. It's just a simple encouragement. Back to the other pressures. In the middle of all these other pressures for work, from family, so on and so forth, you want to have good relationship with your husband or your wife, or find time to find a husband or a wife. You want to have time to be together so that you can be with one another and relate to one another. You want to feel the depth of your love growing as the days and the months and the years go on. You've got the pressure of health. You've got the pressure of finances, how to handle them, what's your values, uh, how is inflation affecting all of our budget, and what's taking place there. I know I just paid for groceries yesterday, and I'm like, how in the world is this grocery bill this large? There's not that much in my cart, okay? And I'm only one person. I don't know how you people who have five people in your family do it. I'm just like, oh my. We can apply all of Paul's um, difficulties, all of his pressures, all of his words that he's giving us there to some of the things in our life. They're never going to be equal, but we can compare those things to where the pressures are in our life. But I'm going to tell you right now that the pressures that Paul is talking about is not the focus of this chapter or these verses. I bring up those pressures because they actually apply to our lives and we need to see and understand that. But the pressures are not the focal point. The focal point actually goes into the next two things and the next two things go hand in hand. So we've got humility of jars of clay, we've got the weakness of the jars of clay, but the next thing we have are the victories of the jars of clay. If you notice, for every weakness that Paul mentions, he also mentions a corresponding victory. Paul is pressed on every side, but he's not crushed. Paul is perplexed, but not in despair. He is persecuted, but he is not abandoned. He is struck down, but he is not destroyed. So every angle in which Paul is experiencing hardship, he is also experiencing a victory as well. Again, hardships are not the focus. And quite honestly, victories are not even the focus, but they are important to where we're headed. But too often we focus on hardships of life, uh, and we sometimes fail to look at the victories of life. Where are the things that you see the, fr- um, the fruits of your labor? You're working hard on your family life. You're working hard to be a great dad, to be involved in your kids' lives, to be the spiritual leader for your kids. Where are you seeing victories in those things? Mom, you're working overtime for your kids, for your family, for your husband, for all that's taking place there. Where do you see some of those victories? You work hard on your marriage. You want to be a good husband. You want to be a good wife. Uh, You want to do the kinds of things that God has called you to in scripture to be those things. Where are you seeing victories in those things? You work hard at your job. You display what it's like to be a follower of Christ in how you work, but also in your relationship with your coworkers, your clients, your boss, and they see that difference in you. Where are the victories that you're seeing? And again, I focus on this because oftentimes the pressures and the difficulties of life are what we focus on and we fail to look back and say, these are some of the victories that I'm seeing here. Uh, And it's okay to look at those victories as long as we understand that those victories are coming through Christ, that it is Him working in and through us. Earlier I said that hardships are not the point, neither are the victories. There is a greater point that Paul is trying to make, and if we miss it, we're going to move into very dangerous waters. If we miss the point of this passage, uh, we're going to begin to think that when we stand up under pressure and hardships and the strains of life, these victories are ours and they don't come from God. Because the world philosophy is simple. That trials and hardship and difficulties, they show what men are. They bring out their grit. They show how much they can stand up underneath the pressure. Other people view it as a mind over matter kind of thing. Uh, they come at it with a superior attitude of, you know what, I can believe in myself so I can overcome these things. Uh, if you want me to quote Stuart Smalley, I can do that. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, if you don't know where that's from, that's from Saturday Night Live. And I'll give you another little soapbox thing. Saturday Night Live has been shaping cultural mindsets for years. They are not the originator of the ideas, they are the ones who popularize those ideas. And so keep in mind, I'm not telling you don't watch Saturday Night Live, but I am telling you be careful as to what messages they are sending because they shape the minds of entire generations because of what they do. Okay, get off that soapbox. Final piece of this puzzle. And the point that Paul is trying to make bring us to hope. We've got the humility of the jars of clay. We've got the weakness of the jars of clay, the victories. Finally, we've got the glory of the jars of clay. And I want you to look again at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, Two. By the way, I want to camp out on that word, too. That is a purpose word. He is giving us why we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power is from God and is not from us. So we're hard-pressed. We're not crushed. Why? Because of the treasure that is in us. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Why? Because of the treasure that is in us. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Why? Because of the treasure that is in us. You know where I'm going for the last one? We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You can say it with me. Why? Because of the treasure that is in us. This treasure that is mentioned, it's debated actually to what it is. Some people want to say that it is uh, from verse 6, where it says the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Some people say that it goes back further in the book of 2 Corinthians. Some people even say it's First and Second Corinthians all put together. Uh, personally, I would agree with the people who say it comes out of verse 6. It's the immediate context that they're talking about here. So the light of the knowledge of God's glory, and one of the ways that you can equate or look at the light of the knowledge of God's glory is saying the gospel. The gospel that we accept when we say yes to Jesus. The good news that we accept uh, by God because of faith in the work of Jesus Christ. The good news that we preach to ourselves again and again as we walk with Christ through life. Because the gospel is not just the place where you enter into the Christian faith. The gospel is the thing that helps sustain you as you walk with Christ through the years. Before we come to Christ, we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he is the only way to receive forgiveness. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we are entering into heaven. But after we come to Christ, we understand maybe all the more, that we are sinners, and that we desperately need a Savior. And we keep getting reminded of that through life. In fact, we experience more and more of God's grace as we walk through life and begin to preach the gospel to ourselves. You can check out Romans 6 later and see what I'm talking about. Each time we do this, each time we go back to the gospel and review it and see how it's applying to our lives all the more, it should drive us toward loving God more and motivate us toward serving God. So the gospel is the treasure. And so we can honestly say that because of the treasure, the Holy Spirit lives within us. In fact, you would not have this treasure if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that motivated you to say yes to Jesus in the first place. And the reality is that uh, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. The Bible says it here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies." The Holy Spirit is one of the most amazing treasures that most Christians do not take advantage of nearly as much as they should. And I will put myself in there as front of that line. Don't take advantage of the Holy Spirit nearly the way we should. So what is the glory of the jars of clay? Uh, That we, being jars of clay, are able to show the all-surpassing power of God that is not from us. All of the hardships that Paul mentions and all of the victories are all pointing back to this one idea. It shows the all-surpassing power of God. We don't stand up underneath the weight of hardships because of how awesome we are. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. And doggone it, people don't like us enough. That it's uh, because it is all about who God is. When life is hitting you hard and you're pressed down but not crushed, it's because of the all-surpassing power of God. When you hit those times of life when you are perplexed or you are persecuted or you feel like you have been struck down, uh, you are not having to worry about those things because of the all-surpassing power of God. All of those victories of being a great parent, of being a great spouse, of being a great employee. All the, faces, all the things that you face in life that are so difficult and the victories that you have coming from them are all not because of you, no offense. They are because of the power of God that is working in and through you. So allow me to put this in a different way. And I've always liked this, uh, this understanding. Don't stop at what was provided. Look further to the provider. Because too often we praise God or we thank God that something particularly happened, but we got to remember that it did happen because of God, that it is not us that took place, it's not the circumstances all worked themselves out, it is that God was working all of those things through. So this series about the series is about the idea of surrender. And this passage is really a great picture of surrender. We as jars of clay are common, ordinary vessels but it's not about us as the jars of clay. It's not about our victories. It is about Christ. We need to surrender this view or this perspective that we may have that we hold on to life and we say, you know what? I did that. That was me. Because it's not us. It is God working through us by the knowledge of the glory of God. That is what sustained Paul. That is what Paul is trying to get across. That should be what sustains us, that it is the power of God working through us when we surrender to that and understand that it is truly God. That is where things grow. That is where things take off. Just as Rabbi Joshua from the beginning uh, acknowledged that the treasure uh, is the greater thing than the vessel, we need to acknowledge that too. That the treasure that we hold, the gospel, understanding that it is all about the all-surpassing power of God, that is what it's about. And it is not about us, it is about Him. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for, uh, for this morning. Thank you for the realities that we face um, in your word and how you... Um, Help us come face to face with these things that help bring humility, help bring uh, surrender to you. Father, as we um, uh, just contemplate this particular object lesson that you've given to us of these jars of clay, of how they hold up under some of the difficulties of life, but they hold up because of you. Lord, we pray that we would be thinking through those things in our own life. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be walking out the doors going, oh, that was wonderful but then forgetting all about it, forgetting to put this into action when we go into the world of recognizing the fact that things are from you. Lord, help us keep that forefront in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.